Soaring in Health and Wellness is brought to you by Freedom Gate Church. It is their passion to advance Christ's kingdom and disciple the generations. Freedom Gate is located at 104 Tennis Center Drive, directly behind Pioneer Chevrolet in Marietta, Ohio. Sunday morning services begin at 10.30 a.m. For more details, check out the web at freedomgatechurch.net. Soaring in Health and Wellness is also brought to you by Mountaineer Chiropractic, located at 2108 Camden Avenue, Suite D, Parkersburg, West Virginia. For more information, go to www.mountaineerchiro.com. If you'd like to be a sponsor or help support Soaring in Health and Wellness podcast, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash Soaring in Health and Wellness or www.eagleswayministries.org. Hello, and thank you for listening to Soaring in Health and Wellness with Dr. Stephen Wells. Dr. Wells was born and raised in Vienna, West Virginia, before moving to Dallas, Texas. He earned his Bachelor of Science degree in Health and Exercise Science from Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Dr. Wells earned his second Bachelor of Science degree in General Sciences, along with his Doctor of Chiropractic degree from Palmer College of Chiropractic in Davenport, Iowa. Dr. Wells worked in the health and wellness industry 11 years prior to attending chiropractic college. For the past 21 years, he has treated his patients with chiropractic care, as well as educating them on health and wellness. If you or a friend or family member have a desire to soar to higher levels in health and wellness and a passion to live with a sense of purpose and vitality, then you don't want to miss one episode. Dr. Wells and his guests, ranging from doctors of all areas of healthcare to educators, nurses, personal trainers, counselors, and pastors, will discuss and inform you on how to improve all dimensions of wellness from a biblical worldview perspective in physical, emotional, intellectual, interpersonal, social, cultural, spiritual, environmental, financial, and occupational wellness, with one goal in mind, seeing you soar towards optimal health and wellness. If you're ready, let's get started with today's program with your host, Dr. Steve Wells. Good afternoon, and welcome to Soaring in Health and Wellness. I appreciate you all turning in and listening to this podcast, and I want to thank our engineer and producer, Todd Osborne. And before we get started, I want to go over a couple sources, just kind of get that out of the way, uh, where I get a lot of my information from, and uh, the sources are Total Fitness and Wellness by Powers, Dodd, and Jackson. Uh, Essentials of Physical Activity, 6th edition by Dr. Fritz Huber. Health, the Basics by Rebecca Donatelli. And Connect Core Concepts in Health, and that's by Ensel, Roth, and Ensel. Today's guest is Dr. Stephen Hanna. He's a medical doctor, family physician who has been practicing in Parkersburg, West Virginia for over 30 years. He was born and raised in West Virginia. Dr. Hanna attended Duke University where he received a degree in religion, as well as completing his pre-medical studies following his time at Duke University, Dr. Hanna went to Morgantown, West Virginia, where he received his medical degree from West Virginia University, and Dr. Hanna is a member of the Christian Medical Society. So welcome, Dr. Hanna. Thank you, Steve. It's really good to be here. I really admire you <clears throat> and congratulate you for doing this uh, health series. Uh, I told my family that they um, could listen if they want to, but they've heard uh, me speak enough and use them in stories that they probably don't want to. But uh, I've, I've got a, three children that spent, talk, occupies most of my time. I have a daughter who's in college, actually with your uh, daughter, and she's pre-medical and uh, on her way to medical school eventually. And then I've got a uh, 16-year-old son who's a band nerd, and I've got a 12-year-old son who's a uh, scout who uh, we just spent uh, 
a long week in the heat and the, and, uh, and the rain at uh, scout camp, but all those were good experiences, and uh, blessed to have a wife who uh, loves me despite all that. <laughs> I tell you what, um, uh, the, the award that uh, Lauren got, uh, who's attending Marshall, um, can you explain a little bit of that award? Yeah, that was a really exciting thing. We're all, of course, big WVU fans, as you are, and when, and she was uh, looking forward to that. But Marshall has what's called a combined BSMD program, where they have an accelerated program where the award that she applied for and, and won with uh, nine other students in the state requires her to go to three years of undergraduate, and then you're directly accepted into Marshall University with some scholarships uh, available with that. So she'll go right into Marshall Medical School. And so... Uh, I'm really thrilled and pleased, uh, although my partners have tried to talk her out into going into medicine <laughs> these days. <laughs> wow. I tell you, so congratulations to your daughter, Lauren. I tell you, um, she's a great, got great kids, great family. And uh, again, thank you for helping me um, uh, put this on. It, like I said, it wouldn't be possible without our guests that we have. And um, our today's topic, pretty much the, the outline of today's topic, is pretty much could be lifestyle choices. And their immediate effects as well as their long-term effects on life expectancy. Uh, we'll discuss maybe some action steps that we can do to help increase our healthy life expectancy. And we'll explain the difference between healthy life expectancy and total life expectancy. And, um, and hopefully that you all will receive. And uh, again, this this podcast is, is not to put any type of condemnation, but is to bring more of an awareness, education, and things that we may be able to do to help improve our health. And we do this out of love and so forth. But as far as um, I was reading uh, Health to Basics by Rebecca Donatelli, and she makes a note here, individual behaviors of lifestyle choices can help you attain, which is succeed, maintain, or regain good health, or they can deteriorate your health and promote disease. And as far as uh, with Dr. Huber in his book, Essentials of Physical Activity, um, you know, if we look at where we were, and you remember the stories back in the day, when we used to hear mom and they said, you know, I used to walk to school in six feet of snow and, and you know, and all that so forth. But as far as um, if we can kind of elaborate where we were back in the 1900s and where we are today as disease goes and so forth. Right. And I think um, you, as I did, I, I grew up uh, the grandchildren of a farming family and my uh, my grandparents had a farm of 160 acres, which I was able to move to uh, when I moved here 30 years ago. But they had 11 kids, and they raised their food. They worked very, very hard and have great stories and great memories of visiting them. But, uh, you know, back then, 70% of the American population lived in the country and was physically active in food production. And the food they ate was not processed or refined. It was grown and picked by them, whereas today, as Dr. Huber mentions, 95 of our percent of our population lives in cities and has work-saving devices and lawnmowers, and we just don't get the kind of physical activity nor the kind of diet that uh, we had at the turn of the 10th century. I tell you, that is so true. And I, you know, when, when I was reading his book and so forth, um, you know, he did make a note as far as um, from the birth of Christ to the year 1900, life expectancy had only advanced only 20 years. And so the average life went from 25 years old to 47 years old. And I just thought that was, wow, that was just, just kind of blew my mind. And then you can see where in 1980, life expectancy pretty much nearly doubled. Uh, in 1900, life expectancy was 47.3 years old. 
1980, it went to 73.7 years old. And now in 2014, it's 78.8 years old. Can you kind of discuss as far as what you kind of feel as far as what has led to the increase in life expectancy and where we may be as a nation as far as what's become the major concern as far as, you know, can affect life expectancy? Yeah, sure. As most people know, and as as you mentioned, a lot of our health longevity and our our life expectancy was related to public health measures such as water purification and sewerage. And uh, one of my friends just returned from a mission in a third world country. And when your water treatment plant and your sewerage are the main street of town, you're not going to live very long with that kind of an environment. And so our life expectancy was due to water purification and storage for, and then to the development of vaccines and antibiotics to fight infections. And so um, that's been a tremendous boon to us. Uh, I saw a Civil War reenactment uh, a month ago out of Henderson Hall, and I was thinking about these Civil War soldiers being shot and then kidnapped. And when you look at the almost 600,000 plus soldiers who died during the Civil War, more than half of them died of disease and malnourishment and infectious disease. And so when you think of all these new armies coming together, they had no idea, no experience that they would be fraught, not just in the prisoner of war camps, but in the armies getting together that measles and tuberculosis and malaria and dysentery and typhus wiped out, you know, whole units at that time, even before they got to the battle. And so um, that was sort of the dawn of... uh, medical institutions where we realize hand washing, like our mother said, really did have a lot to do with infection and the spread of disease. Uh, and then came antibiotics. But um, uh, that's, it's been a really change since that development in the late 1800s or the 1900s as far as life expectancy. So in your office, as far as, um, you know, back in, like I said, even though we're having that uh, expectancy has increased, it seems like poor health is becoming the more dominant factor as far as based on what Katie Koshnick said as far as national vital statistics. As far as the life expectancy can be 78, almost 80 years old, but as far as 69 years old would actually be healthy life. And the last 10 years of our life, so forth, will be more as far as disability issues. Are you seeing that type in your practice as a physician? Yes. And, and, and what we've seen, obviously, now that people are not dying of infections uh, like they are, you know, Influenza and pneumonia used to be a uh, chief killer of people, and now with the advent of vaccines and antibiotics, people are living longer. And so uh, the lifestyle choices we make are even more germane to our how long we're going to live. So the diseases of cardiac disease and diseases of inflammation and diseases of um, chronic respiratory disease all catch up with us. I did want to add one caveat. I think that the uh, development of vaccines, it's, it's sort of a has become a controversial thing. I remember talking to one of my mentors here, Dr. Robert Crooks, who I know a lot of listeners probably remember as a great uh, pediatrician father figure in the area. And he was alive not too long ago when he remembered taking care of children who had pneumonia and had to be placed in an iron lug and lung. And he remembers people dying of measles. And, and I remember when I first started out, I did a lot of pediatrics and I would do Uh, probably a lumbar puncture or spinal tap on a young child at least once a month. And in 1987, when the Haemophilus bacteria vaccine came out, it was dramatic because within a year, 99% of meningitis due to that bacteria was gone. And I went to a medical convention and there were 200 doctors there. And the speaker said, how many of you have seen a case of meningitis caused by Haemophilus bacteria 
in the last year and no one raised their hands. And to think that just during that 25 year period we've wiped out meningitis due to haemophilus bacteria is a, it's a great thing. And I, I saw a patient um, this week who asked me about his child I'm not taking care of, but 18 months old and has not had any vaccines and the dad was struggling with that. And I think that uh, as lifestyle choices that we make for ourselves and also for our kids, to have them vaccinated is a really powerful thing that we should continue to be mindful of how miraculous it was and how much that has contributed to our longevity. Mm-hmm. I'd say as far as um, with Kochnik and so forth, national statistics reports, uh, we had talked again as far as the life expectancy increasing dramatically, uh, where it's premature deaths from infectious diseases actually has decreased. And as far as what they're finding, you know, as far as research goes, is that the cause of death has shifted to chronic diseases, such as Dr. Hannah has mentioned, as far as heart disease, cancer, and chronic lower respiratory diseases. And that would include your COPD, such as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, your emphysema, your chronic bronchitis, and so forth. Now, the chronic diseases is basically is the leading causes of death and disability in the United States. And that's where pretty much the response for seven out of 10 deaths is related to chronic diseases. And um, that, that just kind of just kind of blows my mind because if you look at um, with what Dr. Fritz Huber has mentioned in his book, the chronic degenerative diseases are primarily, he says, is a disease of lifestyle, you know, lifestyle choices, lifestyle uh, behaviors. And he kind of explains as far as the degenerative disease, you know, often begin undetected early in life. Um, as, and progressively cause deterioration health as we grow older. So there's a lot of times there can be things going on that we are not aware about that's actually affecting our health. Uh, he notes um, 40 to 50% of all heart attack victims die before they reach the hospital after their first heart attack. Uh, and that basically is sometimes the first symptoms of these is also the last. And then he also makes a note also in regards to coronary artery disease, uh, as far as being occluded, that 70 to 90% with atherosclerosis buildup of the fatty deposits are there before any noticeable symptom actually appear. That's right. And we're seeing more and more of that, that the lifestyle choices we make or more importantly don't make lead to diseases. And we see that all the time in the offices. I'm sure you do. <clears throat> that people who smoke cigarettes end up with premature cancer, premature heart disease, and especially um, lower respiratory diseases. And it's, it's hard. Sometimes we talk, and I know you have a very good interest in wellness and what we can do to augment people's health and their lifestyles, but a lot of the times I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall because trying to get someone to quit smoking, which would seem an obvious benefit, is very, very hard. Trying to get someone to quit drinking excessively with their problems with alcohol and trying to get someone to get up off the couch and move. Those are very simple lifestyle decisions, but very difficult to put into effect for a lot of people. Well, that's true. I tell you what, in my office like that, uh, you know, Dr. Hannah, being a uh, family practitioner, medical doctor type, too, he sees a lot of these chronic degenerative diseases. And that's where I kind of refer to him. Uh, but as far as what comes out my office is basically a lot of people complain of lower back pain. Uh, lower back pain is probably the number one cause uh, for patients to enter my office. And a lot of times, if, if you were to do the research and I was to do a statistic analysis, it's just to see how many of those people are having lower back pain is related to their obesity, sure. you know? And so if we can control, and, and like you said, you try, you beat your head against the door. I beat my head against the door constantly, constantly like, oh, please, you know, and, you know, I'm always on the, you know, my wife and I basically have two, two thoughts, two different thoughts. I go more on preventive 
and she's more of a reactant. I don't know if you and your wife are like that as far as raising your kids. I'm like, if I can prevent my kid from hurting himself, that's much easier than, than reacting after he falls and hurts himself. So uh, I always try to uh, promote preventive uh, activities and so forth. Um, as far as the, uh, of course, as Dr. Hannah mentioned, some of the things that we can kind of control as far as that maybe uh, help with the degenerative changes or uh, chronic diseases is, like he said, lack of physical activity. Uh, physical inactivity and overweight, obesity are responsible for nearly one in 10 deaths in the United uh, States adults. He talked about uh, poor nutrition, uh, such as high dietary salt, low dietary omega-3 acids, uh, high dietary trans fatty acids, you know, also um, are the dietary risk with largest mortality, death effects, is our diet. Uh, we look at uh, the excessive alcohol consumption, uh, causes 80,000 deaths in adults annually through cardiovascular disease, other medical conditions, as well as accidents and violence. And then again, there's smoking, tobacco use. Um, basically causing response for one in five deaths in American adults. So if we can kind of control that and also increase our fruits and vegetables, you know, up to, I, I know when we first started with the fruits and vegetables, it was three to five servings. You know, that's increased since then. I think it's seven to nine servings of raw fruits and vegetables that the American Heart Association or American Care and Society recommends. But I tell you what, we're going to go ahead and take a break and we're going to uh, thank our sponsors. Soaring in Health and Wellness is brought to you by Freedom Gate Church. It is their passion to advance Christ's kingdom and disciple the generations. Freedom Gate is located at 104 Tennis Center Drive, directly behind Pioneer Chevrolet in Marietta, Ohio. Sunday morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more details on the web at freedomgatechurch.net. Soaring in Health and Wellness is also brought to you by Mountaineer Chiropractic, located at 2108 Camden Avenue, Suite D, Parkersburg, West Virginia. For more information, go to www.mountaineercairo.com. If you'd like to be a sponsor or help support Soaring in Health and Wellness podcast, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash Soaring Health and Wellness or www.eagleswayministries.org. Welcome back. Uh, our guest today is Dr. Stephen Hanna. Uh, from Parkersburg, West Virginia. He's uh, a family medical practitioner for the past 30 years. And where we left off was basically talking about the uh, determinants that uh, we can make as far as that affect our um, lifestyle, as far as the lack of physical activity, uh, poor nutrition, excessive alcohol consumption, and tobacco use. Uh, but there's other some uh, determinants that you can look at as far as that could affect that as well. And that's use of vitamins, uh, supplements, caffeine, uh, over-the-counter medication, illegal drugs, uh, sexual behaviors, and also um, sleep habits, recycling, hand washing, which we t t uh, discussed earlier. So we're going to go ahead and pick up with Dr. Hannah. And uh, Dr. Hannah, do you have any more um, that you'd like to input as far as some of those determinants? Well, yes, I think one of the things we're trying to do today is encourage people because a lot of this information is not new. And I found, as you probably have, that the voice that a person hears may or may not impact them at that particular time. And so hopefully something we'll say will help someone make a decision to improve their health. I, I like to use the example of one of my delightful little patients who I really talked to for 10 years about stopping smoking. That was our main thing. Every time she had fairly bad emphysema, she would come in. I said, you know, you'd be better if you stopped smoking. And she eventually got mad at me, as did her family, that I wasn't helping her uh, with her breathing problems. And so I said, well, let me send you to a lung doctor and we'll see what they say. And she came back a month later and she goes, you know what? I stopped smoking because he told me cigarettes were bad for me. 
<clears throat> and so sometimes we just need to hear it from a different perspective. And I hopefully uh, some of the things we say today, as you and I were talking before the break, uh, West Virginia now has unfortunately gained the number one state in the country as far as obesity. And we are number one as far as obesity in the United States. We passed Alabama and Mississippi over the last few years, and we've gone from 1990 when we had 13% of our population was obese, now to 2016, 2017, where almost 37% of people, and some would say more, in West Virginia are obese. And of course, then that leads us, because of that lifestyle choice and the development, to us being number one in hypertension in the country and number one in diabetes in the country. And those are statistics and things that are, are real world that uh, really scare me, and I know you too as a health professional. I tell you what, that is, that's so and I tell you, that's, um, that's one of the reasons as far as that, um, you know, the Lord kind of put this on my heart as far as, you know, what can we do to help, you know, reverse this trend, this epidemic as far as health and wellness. And, um, you know, I'm from West Virginia, you're from West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia is a great state to live. There's a lot of um, activity, things you can do. It's a beautiful state. But we're always seen to be on the wrong end of pretty much the health curve, so forth. We're always seen to be the first as far as when it comes to obesity, uh, things like that. And in fact, you know, you mentioned the statistics as far as where we're at now. But as far as back in 1990, and remember we, we first discussed 1900s as far as the life expectancy. But you can see where the trend from 1990 when uh, we were basically doing this analysis as far as... Um, and you can actually go to the uh, internet and pull up stateofobesity.org, and you'll get these statistics as well. But in 1990, we were at 13.7%. We were ranked fourth in the United States. In the 1995, it went to 17.7%. In 2000, five years later, it would jump to 23.9%. 2003, 27%. And now, 2016, 37.7%. And we're in 2018. And, you know, we were talking earlier uh, when you first came in, it's like that as far as I would probably subject that the obesity rate now is 40%. So basically four out of 10 adults are obese. And like uh, Dr. Hannah had said and so forth, uh, with that obesity, the increase in obesity, the World Health Organization estimates that 2 billion adults worldwide are overweight or obese. And again, along with the increase in obesity, uh, come increase, like you said, diabetes, chronic liver disease, heart disease, stroke other chronic diseases that are leading causes of death. And, um, you know, I was kind of, you mentioned that the point as far as uh, diabetes. And this is an article that was brought out as far as from um, healthycommunitieshealthyfuture.org. So again, if you go to www.healthycommunitieshealthyfuture.org, you'll see that um, where they had made a uh, comment as far as if we do not reverse the obesity epidemic, our children are in danger of becoming the first generation of Americans living sicker and dying younger than their parents' generation. That's right, and it's very, it's very scary statistic. I was at a diabetic pediatric conference at Akron uh, City Hospital, Akron Children's Hospital, a year or two ago. And of course, they had the statistics for obesity and diabetes in the Ohio um, area. And if you look at the three counties in Ohio that uh, are adjacent to Parkersburg area, including the one we are now, they estimated that 35% of all third graders in those counties were already obese. Mm -hmm. And so what we've come to uh, call the diabetes epidemic, the obesity leading to diabetic, we're seeing that in, 
in children now. And we used to be the only childhood diabetics we saw were the type 1s, the ones who ran out of insulin. And now type 2 diabetes in children is actually much more common now. Uh, and like everything else, I think, Steve, it's multifactorial. You know, in West Virginia, the poverty uh, creates a lot of problems as far as buying healthy food, the lack of inactivity, the, um, the unemployment, the fact that the poverty means we don't take the time or to have the money to buy the foods we need. Um, it's, it's a very complex problem, and I know you quoted some really good sources. One of the ones I like is the Robert Woods Foundation. It's been looking at obesity both in West Virginia and nationally, and they have a reflection of the same statistics that we basically are have become couch potatoes, and the increased carbohydrate intake that we have and the fast food we have has all contributed to obesity. So hopefully we can uh, touch on some of those uh, ways we can change that around and encourage people to change their lifestyles and, and their grandchildren mm-hmm. and their children's. I tell you, you know, you mentioned that as far as uh, on our previous podcast with Dr. Huber, uh, we were talking about the nine dimensions of wellness and in every part of that dimension of wellness interrelates or reacts to everyone. For example, like you talked about financial, you know, financial health. You know, if you don't have the money to buy good, healthy food, sure, it's going to affect other issues and so forth. So everything interrelates, everything interacts and so forth. So with what we're trying to do is basically increase uh, someone's level of health and wellness more towards optimal health and wellness, where there's a balance of all the dimensions of wellness, not only physically, but also emotionally, spiritually, financially, occupational, and so forth. So, um, and we had talked last time with Dr. Huber as far as the sed- sedentary environmental um, SEDS. Have you, are you, are you familiar with SEDS? Yes. The, um, the, the couch potato, as you call it, <coughs> and so mm-hmm. forth. And the epidemic that it's causing on children. Mm-hmm. Whereas children today are, like you said, it, it's not type 1. They're, it's actually type 2. And that's, that's more for an adult. But now we're seeing in children, I believe. That's right. So Absolutely. And I have kids come in and they'll have the... Uh, stigmata of uh, physical signs that may indicate uh, obesity. And the other thing we're seeing a lot, um, you know, you talk about obesity leading to other diseases such as cardiac disease. For a long time, we wondered why men in particular would die of a heart attack in their sleep because you really don't think about that being a strenuous activity, at least mm-hmm. it's not for me. And right. I spend a lot more time there than I used to. But um, what we found out is that people who have sleep apnea have increased hypertension. And what happens, and here again, obesity is a big uh, contributing factor to this, is that when you have sleep apnea and you have some obstruction of the airflow into your lungs, your oxygen level decreases through the night. So at 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning, your oxygen level actually gets low enough to cause a cardiac irritation and arrhythmia. And so people, uh, because of their obesity and other causes for sleep apnea, have a heart attack and uh, sometimes die in their sleep because of that. So one of the things that obesity uh, needs to be treated for in association is is make sure that if uh, if your spouse is snoring or gasping, that sleep apnea is something that can be treated even before we lose our weight. I tell you what, uh, Dr. Handy, it, it's um, something that you mentioned it because I really wasn't, um, it didn't seem like it was that noticeable 30 years ago or 20 years ago. But I have patients coming in like that that are getting um, sleep tests. It seems like it's more common as far as sleep apnea, you know, they're sleeping with the mask and so forth. Are you finding that in your practice as well as far as... Um, Absolutely, mm-hmm. yes. And I order sleep studies on a lot of people. And now 
with the increased technology, we have the opportunity to both do sleep studies in the hospital, and there are also home sleep studies, which are a little more affordable and give us good information too. But um, the study of sleep science and has it, how it affects our health has come a long way in the last 15 years. And so it's a great thing both for kids and also for adults to look into that behavior. Mm -hmm. I'd say, you know, we've been talking a lot about uh, the obesity, but as far as some other um, lifestyle choices that seem to be con key contributors to uh, the death among Americans, and uh, it's, it's pretty much um, the uh, National Vital Statistics uh, with uh, Katie Kochenek, and he basically, the top two of the eight as far as key contributors to death is tobacco, accounting for estimated 480,000 deaths per year, which basically equals 18.3% total deaths per year. And then we talk, of course, we've been, we've been pretty much talking about diet activity patterns, obesity, uh, accounting for an estimated 400,000 deaths per year, equaling 15.2. So you can see as far as the top eight or the top two of the eight, basically is contributing to almost, um, you know, 35 almost 40% of the total deaths as far as tobacco and also obesity. Uh, but then you come down to a third community factor is also the alcohol consumption. And that represents 90,000 numbers of deaths per year, equaling 3.4%. So you can see the major drop off uh, as far as diet activity, obesity representing 15.2%. And then the next third would be alcohol consumption, 3.4 total deaths. So those three lifestyle choices you know, uh, again, tobacco, uh, obesity, diet, inactivity, alcohol consumption are basically represent the top three. So if you were to take care of those, that would kind of help with uh, life expectancy, what you would figure. Right. And the other nice thing about that is it's those are lifestyle changes we can make. And all of us want to be more independent and we don't want to be dependent upon the government or a doctor or someone to have to fix our life. And, and we have the ability to do that ourselves and even small changes, even a 5% change in someone's weight, it significantly alters the other health diseases we're talking about. Um, now tobacco, <clears throat> I always encourage my patients to uh, cut down because I do think a half a pack a day is better than two packs a day, but I always get the response when someone, I say, are you still smoking? They go, yes, but I've really cut it down to a half pack a day. And I say, that's just like saying I'm just a little bit pregnant. <laughs> and so, uh, <clears throat> so, you know, uh, things that come our way, uh, as far as tobacco, that's one thing that we really need to say, look, uh, your health care changes, your body changes, improves as soon as you stop smoking. I mean, you see almost immediate benefit. I'd say, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to hear a couple of your, um, s some of your patient stories will we'll protect, we'll protect their identity, you know, um, as far as, um, but when I was looking basically at an article in Trends in Obesity Among Adults, I find it really interesting as far as um, the, he, he makes Flegel, Flegel's article basically talks about medical inter interventions for these conditions have improved over time, lessening the impact of obesity to date. And some of those interventions would be, what would you think would be the interventions as far as um, gastric bypasses? Sure. Um, and things like that to help with the obesity epidemic? Right. And I think, you know, uh, when I look at medical interventions over the last 30 years, and I'm not advertising for them, but something like Weight Watchers, I think, has been good because it, it gives us three things that I think are very important in treating obesity. One is accountability. Mm -hmm. You need someone else. Uh, two is that by contributing money, it makes you dedicated to do it. Mm -hmm. And three, I think it does give you a, a good lifestyle. But, you know, one thing I want to avoid doing is being judgmental 
<clears throat> of people who are obese because I'm mm -hmm. overweight. I need mm -hmm. 20 pounds off. And, and a lot of times people go, people who are obese feel bad enough mm -hmm. about themselves anyway. And mm -hmm. I remember a story uh, about a retired surgeon in town who was a patient of mine. And I said, look, if you don't lose some weight, you're going to get into even worse trouble than you are. And he said, Steve, there's only three things in my life I've enjoyed doing. He said, one was raising children and they're all gone. Two was having relationships with my wife, and I'm too old to do that now. So all I have left to do mm -hmm. is eat. Mm -hmm. um, and so we talked about that at, at length. That's it's a tough issue, and we love to eat. I eat when I'm happy. Mm -hmm. I eat when I'm stressed, and I, I love eating as most people do, and it does give us a increase in our dopamine neurochemical transmitters. So there is a pleasurable activity to eating that we enjoy, and so we, when you get into the psychological component of eating, we tend to self-medicate ourselves with food a lot i tell you what you know that is so true and, and again we all there's all room for improvement um i can improve in fact um you know what really kind of got me involved like that is i was actually uh, my lifestyle pretty much was sedentary because i'd either be watching my kids play sports you know on on the bleachers or i'd be sitting at my desk in my office and i, I mentioned this last uh week in the podcast but my wife would she for some reason she 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 always thinks she needs to buy things that are on sale Okay, and that would be like the peanut <laughs> NMMs. That would be like the candy. That'd be like the chips. That'd be like you know the pop. I'm I'm looking to myself, and I ask her. I said, "Why are you buying this? What's on sale? You know, you get two bags for one." I'm thinking, you know, you would save so much money if you went by complete because you know who eats it is. I'm sitting there <laughs> eating it, and it's just not <laughs> it's just not healthy. Right. So anyway, so this this podcast is is great information for me as, and so forth. But as far as the um, in the same article, so like that, they say medical treatments may be reaching their limits in preventing early deaths related to obesity. Uh, people, are, like we talked about before uh, with Dr. Hanna, people are becoming obese at earlier ages, exposing them to the adverse effects of excess body fat over a longer period of time. And the magnitude of the obesity epidemic has brought predictions that an overall decline in life expectancy will take place in the U.S. by the mid-21st century. And again, you know, obesity and poor eating habits can lead to pretty much all the major chronic diseases, as we talked about, as far as heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. Yeah, and it's um, and we're seeing that. And there's a lot of studies that show that kids who are in uh, kindergarten and who are in elementary school and in junior high who become obese at those ages carry the obesity into adulthood, where it makes it a lot harder to do. Um, one of the thing in obesity that that we like to um, keep eating, uh, particularly if there's different foods. And so one thing I advise my patients is to uh, try to avoid buffets. There's a uh, story about one of the restaurants that opened here in Parkersburg that had a buffet. Um, and in the first week, uh, Parkersburg set a national record for the amount of consumption <laughs> and visits to that buffet for that chain. Wow. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, there's a feedback mechanism we have when we eat. If we only have three foods available to us, our mind gets tired of it. But if we have 50 foods available to us, we can just keep going. And we have this thing where I'm going to get my money's worth. So uh, small portions, one serving back to the buffet and uh, are some of the simple things we can do. You know, I tell you what, um, again, as we we're talking about lifestyle choices here is, um, you know, Roth's, uh, Roth and Ensel define lifestyle choice as basically as a conscious behavior that can increase or decrease a person's risk of disease or injury. And again, we've been talking about some of those choices being smoking, exercising, eating a healthy diet. Um, but uh, with Dr. Fritz Huber, he had noted in his books like that, that 83% of deaths before age 65 could have been prevented with a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, it's an amazing statistic. It really is. You know, and then also in that same, 
that same article like that. He says, studies at the University of Tennessee and at the Massachusetts General Hospital revealed that lifestyle was a major contributing factor in more than 78% of the hospital admissions. You know, and I tell you what, as far as, um, you know, before we go into uh, making health choices for immediate results, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break and um, thank our sponsors. I'd just like to thank Dr. Hanna for his time uh, to helping us uh, make better lifestyle choices. Uh, we're going to go ahead and continue part two next week uh, with our interview with Dr. Hanna. And again, I appreciate uh, all our listeners for listening. And again, part two uh, will be our um, discussion with Dr. Hanna on pretty much the uh, immediate effects as well as long-term effects. And then also what we may be able to do to help increase our healthy life expectancy. So again, thank you for uh, listening to Soaring Health and Wellness. Thank you for listening to Soaring in Health and Wellness with Dr. Steve Wells and his guest. We would like to thank our sponsors. Freedom Gate Church, where it is their passion to advance Christ's kingdom and disciple the generations. Freedom Gate is located at 104 Tennis Center Drive, directly behind Pioneer Chevrolet in Marietta, Ohio. Sunday morning services begin at 1030 a.m. Find more details on the web at freedomgatechurch.net. We would also like to thank Mountaineer Chiropractic, located at 2108 Camden Avenue, Suite D, Parkersburg, West Virginia. For more information, go to www.mountaineerchiro.com. If you'd like to be a sponsor or help support Soaring in Health and Wellness podcast, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash Soaring Health and Wellness or www.eagleswayministries.org. If you or your business or church would like Dr. Steve Wells to speak at your church, special event, or conference, please go to www.eagleswayministries.org or send an email to eagleswayministries at gmail.com or call 304-485-6589. Until next time, think of Isaiah 40, 29-31. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint.